Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. This is Rick Lee James, your host, and we have a great episode for you today. This is part three of some workshops that I gave up in Michigan at a big team day event sponsored by the Church of the Nazarene a few weeks ago. This is one that I think will have a lot of interest not only to musicians, but to pastors and lay people as well, especially when we're trying to have a a conversation about changes that have been happening in worship, Uh, whether it's music or whether it's uh, adding more liturgy and scripture or just even changing the style, becoming more sacramental um, in our approach to worship and trying to become more faithful together. So I think you're going to enjoy part three of the workshops. If you missed the last few workshops, uh, feel free to go do that. Um, I think it was three podcasts ago. We started with workshop one that was on songwriting for the local church. Uh, Workshop two was... um, Actually, I think we had uh, Paul Balash the week after that, and then workshop two um, the week the week after Paul Balash, we had actually covered uh, a worship band workshop, and I think that was hopefully valuable for people who played in worship bands. Um, but this week is part three, style versus substance in worship. And I think you're going to find that there's uh, some uh, some helpful things to just about everybody in the local church during this workshop, I hope. Uh, my apologies if you can't hear quite everything from other people in the room. Um, we did have one source recording that was recording the entire room, so I think you can hear me very well. Um, If there's a couple places maybe where other people in the room are making comments, um, I think you're going to be able to hear them too. You might just have to uh, turn up your volume just a little bit more. My apologies, Um, but you do what you can when you're recording in a live setting like that for an entire room. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. I've got lots of exciting news to share with you, but I think I'm going to hold off this week and and maybe share that a little bit further down the road. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Rick Lee James, and you can get all kinds of information information about me um, at rickleejames.com. So without any further hesitation on my part, let's go right into um, the workshop, Substance versus Style in Worship. God bless you and thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. So if you have not been in here yet today, I, just let me introduce myself real quickly. My name is Rick Lee James. And I live in Springfield, Ohio. I have been on staff in three different churches, but I've been in Springfield, Ohio the longest, um, going on 13 years there now, actually. I can't believe it's actually been that long. Um, I am part-time music pastor, and the rest of the time I do things like this. I travel, I do a lot of concerts. Um, I've had several songs published with uh, Lifeway Worship, and I'm still continually doing more and more songwriting all the time. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, basically. Uh, I'm an ordained elder in the Church of Nazarene. I went to school for theology at Treveca, dear old TNU, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, are there any other Treveca graduates in here? So, all right. Well, we still love you anyway. It's all right. Um, so I've... Uh, Oh, and most importantly, I have um, I am husband to Jennifer and father to Alex, my little one-year-old, who I'm missing terribly today, but uh, 
anyway, that's who I am, basically, if you wonder who I am. Uh, I've recorded and written several songs through the years. Um, these are just a sampling of some of my CDs. I'm not so much trying to push them. I just wanted people to kind of have uh, a little bit of knowledge of who I was, if you're interested. I also wrote a book very recently uh, called Out of the Depths, A Songwriter's Journey Through the Psalms. And uh, it was a follow-up to this uh, live album that I did called Basement Psalms Live. And uh, it's a song, hopefully, that uh, will be uh, an album that hopefully will be used to, to serve the church in many different ways. Um, so if you ever go to my website, just this is all just kind of a smattering of information real quick, but rickleyjames.com has a lot of my music. It has uh, several free um, lead sheets to songs that I've written. Um, there's, there's a lot of freebies and stuff on there, and, and hopefully some resources that might be able to help equip, equip you a little bit. Um, and, and maybe you can communicate with me through that as well. Okay, that's who I am, and hopefully we'll get to know each other a little more as the day goes on. But we're talking about style versus substance in worship. Um, most of our churches, unfortunately, and, and I, I hate to say most, but I, I think it is most of our churches, and not just a few, we have battle scars from the worship wars, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and style of songs have become the issue for some reason uh, instead of the content, you know. And, and oftentimes, uh, no matter which side of that war you might be on, there are right people and wrong people on both <laughs> sides of the issue. And oftentimes, we battle over style and we have no care for the substance of what we're actually bringing into a worship service. And to me, I've always thought, wouldn't it be great to have like an actual argument over something that mattered sometime on a Sunday, <laughs> you know, rather than some piddly little thing that, that comes up? I want to start by sharing a story with you. Um, and you probably have had similar situations, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a worship leader. Um, I am the music leader at my church when I'm there. And... Um, my pastor had decided that he wanted to have us really emphasize the Lord's Prayer. And every week he wanted us to pray together. The Lord's Prayer at the beginning of the service, he asked me if I could to find some musical arrangements that may help us to sing the Lord's Prayer together. So the first week we did it, I thought, ah, oh, no brainer, I'll just grab the hymnal. We'll sing the Lord's Prayer that's in the hymnal. Well, that's a beautiful arrangement of a song. But in my opinion, it's a lot more of a solo than it is a congregational song. And you know the one I'm talking about, right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You know, it just kind of keeps building and building, and then your head explodes. And you're, you know, um, it's, almost, it's almost like that old Bugs Bunny cartoon where the opera guy's, you know, holding that last note and it gets bigger. Um, and it, you know, as beautiful as the song is, as great as the prayer is, it was just a disaster. Like, when we sang it, um, our musicians, none of them could, like, because the timing's kind of weird, they were having trouble playing it right. Um, the singers were all over the place. Some of them were on different notes. They're trying to harmonize with each other on that song, which is probably not a good idea. Um, the, the congregation was kind of lost. The organ's doing something. The piano's doing something else. Nobody was kind of listening to each other. And I thought, oh, we better not do that again, because... <laughs> Not that it's a bad song. Like I said, it just seems like it fits better as a solo sometimes, and especially if people aren't, aren't used to that uh, particular arrangement that's in the hymnal. So I found another version of the Lord's Prayer, and I'll just demonstrate for you. 
uh, Tommy Walker, a really great songwriter, writes at Lifeway and um, has written several great songs through the years. He has this arrangement of the Lord's Prayer that goes like this. It's just a real smooth, easy to sing. It's just, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. In heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So like we did that version okay which is just it's more singable it's a lot of people can kind of you know catch on to it real easily i think and immediately i started having um a lot of feedback from people on it and, and you have to realize the church that i'm at um I, I just don't get a lot of feedback one way or the other if it you know good bad i just don't get a lot of feedback on it so when people started really coming up to me um i think i probably had in the course of three weeks or so that we were doing that song, as I introduced it, I probably had about 14 people <laughs> come up to me and just said, man, I love that. I've been singing that. I've been praying it. And it's been in my head. It's just been great. And I was so encouraged. I was like, great, we finally, we, we've hit something. You know, people are um, thinking of the Lord's Prayer in a different way. They're singing it out. We're actually getting some good substance in here. We're praying this together. It's wonderful. And one Sunday morning on my way up to the platform, um, uh, you know how it is. You're on your way there, and then you get a sniper attack. You know what I mean? <laughs> Same wearing This sweet little old lady, and I do mean that. She is a, uh, She was. She's passed away since. She kind of stopped me, and I got the same opening as I had gotten so many times before from 14 other people saying, Rick, are we going to sing that Lord's Prayer song today? You know? And it happened to be a week we weren't going to do that arrangement that day. And I said, well, not today. And she goes, good. I hate that song. <laughs> and I was like, because I'd only had positive comments, I was like, what? And she said, I hate it. <laughs> and she was like, like angry, like visibly like mad in her face. And I said, you hate the Lord's Prayer? And she said, I hate it. And like, she was just getting so upset. We only need to do in the one in the hymnal and nothing else. You know, and it was just like, it's like, oh, great. Well, we're not doing it today, so be happy, you know, <laughs> however it worked. Um, but that, you guys probably all have similar stories, you know, of, of people like that where it's like something didn't connect with them the way that it connected with something else. And at issue there, unfortunately, was more the style than the substance, wasn't it? 
it was the exact same words as the other prayer. There was no difference in substance whatsoever. It was just the style and the way that it was done. And for some reason, um, you know, she, she wasn't able to latch on to that version of it. And thus, she felt like we were doing it wrong, you know. And as if to say there's not more than one way to do it. Um, as if Jesus wrote the Lord's Prayer song in the first place that was in the hymnal. So, um, when talking about style versus substance, that's a little bit of what I want to talk about today. How do we help our people understand what we're doing better, I guess? Um, they have proven, I, I listened to a really interesting study on NPR one day. I was driving through the radio. I love that it was NPR and it wasn't like a church worship survey. It was just sort of somebody that was curious. And the report was on uh, this person that was in a, an office and they were about, I want to say 50 years old, um, something like that. And for reasons he couldn't explain, he really didn't like this young kid that was about 20 that was coming into the office and they figured out why it was because he had so many different kinds of music that he listened to <laughs> and when they were in the office he would bring in uh, jazz he'd bring in like um, like African tribal music he would bring in you know 50s rock he'd bring in uh, something by Ray LaMontagne or you know some indie pop Mumford and Sons you know things like that that come in and it was so eclectic and and they found out in the study that they did they said that people were agitated of a certain age bracket by him because of his music and because it was so different from what they formed. Sometimes it's not a spiritual problem. Sometimes it is a style problem, unfortunately. In the, the course of the, that conversation or whatever you call it when it's aired on a radio thing, the report, the study showed that by the time each of us reach about 40 years of age, we have already clicked in what we like and what we don't like and we're probably not going to veer from that musically <laughs> so for a lot of people in our congregation they don't mean to be cantankerous and mean or whatever um, they just simply are human beings <laughs> they've locked in what they thought a certain thing was there's certain memories associated with certain songs there's certain um, experiences in their life that they latched onto. And a lot of our, our older people, unfortunately, are feeling very disenfranchised from their churches. They feel like somebody stole their church. By the way, if you ever get a chance to read a book called Who Stole My Church by Gordon MacDonald, um, I highly recommend that book. Um, it, it sums up a whole lot of kind of what we're talking about here today. Um, but I said earlier in, in my sessions this morning that prophets are those who are able to stand outside of their own time. They observe it and see it for what it is. Sometimes as pastors, as worship leaders, as people in the church, we need to learn to be prophetic, not in the sense that we're like predicting the future, but being that we can stand outside of our own time, outside of our own location, and look in and see what needs to be worked on. So let me just ask some questions now. I'm going to try to stop talking so much and try to just get some interaction going. I want to ask, what are a lot of our people, I think, feel like strangers in their congregation? because things have changed so much in so many years. Can I ask you, and maybe you guys can just throw out some answers to me, um, what are some things that make people feel like strangers in their congregation, do you think? It can be music. It, it can actually be anything. It can be just anything in the church that kind of makes you feel like a stranger. 
um, might be the paint on the walls in another room or a new style of setup to your Sunday school classroom or whatever. Just what does anything come to mind whenever you think that when maybe a person that's gone there a long time feels like they're a stranger in your congregation? Okay, and change in music is a big one for sure. Um, can can you be even more specific, like on on what kinds of changes have have caused them to feel that way? Oh. Well, I was going to say we're just we're a new congregation. We're only three years old, but as we are trying to build our worship team, we have two different um, gatherings. One is contemporary, and one is hymns because we've got a younger crowd and an older crowd and people from the contemporary that are coming in and they would like to be a part of our worship team and they say oh well that's a little disappointed that we sang just so sweet to trust in Jesus this really fast way when I heard this really slow it was really really pretty yeah and you go that's great and I probably heard that too and loved it except we had some problems with this part of it being sung in another language or mm. you know so okay. it it's hard to be a people pleaser and a god pleaser yeah well uh, that's very true that's very true it is difficult now well, let, me, let me ask you or sorry did you have an answer well i kind of kind of think back on that i think sometimes um because i know this in myself because i'm a very i'm i'm like that guy i listen to everything mm -hmm. okay um i've played in hard rock bands my, my you know all my life um, and I played with you know all different sorts of uh, groups and things like that. I find myself being annoyed when I think that in the search to be contemporary, to be relevant to people in our world, is when we take something that maybe is classic, mm -hmm. okay, and we just try to just make it the hippest, coolest thing. Yeah. And and I and I think what because what I hear because I find that I get annoyed. I was at a, I was at a funeral. Uh, not too long ago for an older gentleman and they took um, uh, How Great Thou Art this, this, it, was, it was this young fresh out of college worship leader and stuff with his tight jeans and his you know and yeah. everything and, and here I am you know feeling to myself and my wife nudged me because she knew immediately when he started because he didn't because he, he's just with an acoustic guitar and he's playing this song and you got a congregation trying to sing this song and he took so many liberties hmm. with with this classic song. He what he didn't just he didn't just try to update it and make it fresh. Yeah. He he took so many liberties you couldn't follow it. Hmm. You know what I mean? And he's speeding up here and going slower here and doing all these different things. And I think I think it's a it's a it's a real fine line between making something contemporary and and freshening it up and totally just taking away from yeah. the feel of, of what it is. And, you know. That's what I mean. how, how do people how do people respond do you think when they feel disconnected like this like I, I know I'm certain some of you have experienced this but how have people responded when they feel sort of disconnected just don't come. they just don't come okay I, I've had people that have come to visit and say well I just really didn't like the style of music and you never see them again because hmm. apparently the style of worship is the entire church which doesn't make sense to me hmm. but I mean, they really do. They get frustrated yeah. and they just don't come. Hmm. Well, and that's very interesting. Have you had any other responses from people? Think about some people that have been kind of disgruntled, in your opinion. What, what have some of 
the ways that you, they've interacted with you maybe and I don't want any names or anything like that <laughs> I wouldn't know them anyway but I, I'm just curious like just give me some examples because I have a feeling a lot of the reason people are reacting a certain way is because they're feeling a disconnect in some way but can anybody else give me some examples of how people have reacted in your congregations we, we, we had uh, just kind of some just one person in particular there was, there was some anger really that kind of boiled up occasionally, mostly to me. Mm. Um, and like you say, you know, mostly as you're on your way into the service or something. But And it was. It was just style. When we first got there, the church had kind of had gone through a major transition, meaning a lot of people left. And um, what we were left with were musicians who could not play hymns. Right. And, uh, and it took probably a year to find hymns that are in 4-4 time in the key of G, yeah. you know, that, uh, you know, take out these chords, you know, yeah. just play these four. Um, yeah. And even then, it's kind of like we, were, we actually did the hymn, mm-hmm. but you're still angry. Yeah. You know, because it should only be done with a piano and right. an organ. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so there was, there was some of that anger. Yeah. And I finally kind of just had to gently confront her when she was really negative about that 7-Eleven music. Yeah. Seven, you know, and talking with her about, you know, well, some folks who enjoy that could come right at you. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, can you explain to me what an Ebenezer is and why I should raise it? Yeah. Can you tell somebody, you know, what that means? I mean, I love the song. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know that I ever convinced her she passed away, but... uh, (laughs) But you know, at, at her funeral, she got one last last thing in and had me lead all five verses of a hymn with piano. <laughs> uh, you know, and those, so it's fine. But That's uh, but yeah, the anger I think you know sometimes boils over. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for sharing that. I, I think that sometimes you know, and the lady that I described in my story this morning, for, for some reason she was feeling disconnected. You know, I think I think that's how I perceived it, and. As someone who who leads worship myself, and I I want to make sure that she feels as connected as the people my age or younger when I come to worship, and I struggle with that. I, I have a really hard time because I'll hear things like, you know, when are we going to do the good old songs again? And then I ask, what good old songs? You know, <laughs> do you know how old I am? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. do you expect me to know them? Or we have the other way too. I mean, honestly. Um, the younger people will want, you know, more new stuff. Why do we have to do these hymns or whatever? It, you know, these don't make any sense to me. So somewhere along the way, you know, we need to um, try to address these things, I think, for our people in a way that makes sense. I think for too long we've struggled with the category of contemporary versus traditional, and I'm not sure that the, I'm not sure those are the best categories for us to work with, you know? Because contemporary, to me, contemporary can be a Gaither song from 40 years ago. It's just, you know, that was contemporary then. And to somebody today, that's still contemporary right now. If you think of music, any of us that we enjoyed when we were younger, that music to us is going to be probably still today, in a lot of ways, what's in style. You know, that's going to be contemporary (laughs) in some ways in our mind. And so we have these strange categories of contemporary versus traditional. And and my church, we went to two services for a while. And 
our people just found that they missed each other so much because we were doing, you know, the one service was, was like all hymns. It was just piano, one vocalist, nothing else. The next service was full band, and we played it as close to the album as we could, you know, like all the way through. Now, we, kept, we only kept it up for about a year because our people missed each other, honestly. Like, they, they weren't seeing each other at church anymore. And so we came together, and my, my pastor and I, we kind of decided we aren't going to play by those categories anymore, you know. We're going to be back together, and we're just going to try somehow to bring the church along with us and just say everything we do from here on out is going to be about substance and not style. If our theme for today works around this certain thing, then if David Crowder's version is what we need to get the message across, we're going to use it. If uh, if it's Mosey Lister, we're going to use that, you know. But uh, we wanted to be servants to the theme of the day. We wanted to be servants to the substance of what we're trying to bring, rather than servants of the style. I think a real danger for a lot of like worship pastors and and any of us that are in ministry sometimes. I think there's a real danger of, of trying to go to one direction or the other with our music. And we try to be real relevant and contemporary and we run to the CCLI top 100 chart and find out what song is new and cool and good right now and do that one. And a year from now, that song is going to be old and out of date and some other new one's going to come along. And part of the problem with that is we need to have some things that have some lasting substance to it. Um, one of the reasons we still sing hymns is because they weren't written to be commercial, <laughs> for one thing. They were written to be, in many times, theological treatises that were put to music to help us to remember them, but they weren't even songs to start with. They were, they were ways for us to remember. They were ways, in a certain way, for our people to be catechized. I think that's how you say it, catechism, catechized, however. Um, so... If we could somehow, I think, recapture as a congregation and maybe even recapture in our leadership some of that, um, it is just exhausting to scramble after the latest thing all the time. And it's also exhausting trying to scramble after the oldest thing all the time, you know, because you get into this mode where you you do end up, uh, as someone mentioned a few minutes ago, you do end up almost trying to please people throughout the course of a service. And this doesn't have to just be music. This can be with the ways that we do communion. I mean, this can be a, a whole broad, wide variety of things. Let me encourage you with this. When you respond to a person that's maybe disgruntled, and, and when we respond, let's do our best um, to not react but to just simply allow ourselves to respond in whatever time we need to take. I truly believe that the true person that Christ made us to be, that every human being is supposed to be a person who is calm, a person who is content, who is wise, who is unafraid. And if we lash back in the same way that we're lashed at, we continue the problem, <laughs> and we're not able to kind of address it. Um, but Jesus calls us to dangerous and uncomfortable places and sometimes that means sitting down with our people and sometimes just having a tough conversation and saying let me hear what it is that you're having trouble with here you know we 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 did this before we we've tried this at my church other churches have done it 
But if we learn to listen together and hopefully respond, um, we just have to figure out in some ways a way to remove distractions from our services, you know, and, and a way to try to help our people to do this together. It's much more important for me that our entire congregation be somewhere together that, as Paul says, you know, we would attain unity in the, in the spirit um, than it is that we be cool and relevant and contemporary or old-fashioned and traditional, <laughs> you know, in that style. So we started talking about, you know, style versus substance in our church. And hymns used to be written for the local church. You know, back when most hymns were written, they weren't written for the latest commercial thing that was going to happen. They were oftentimes written for a particular congregation. It may be that there's people in your church that need to write some music too. It may be that um, maybe you as the pastor, maybe you're musically inclined, maybe you need to write some of that stuff. You can take some of the, the hymn meters and use it. That'll please some people, it won't others. But you might start asking this question for your people. I, I wonder if you asked a question to them sometime in a group, individually get some answers, and you ask them, what songs have marked your life? You know, what songs have touched you? And, and why has these songs touched you, you know? Um, is there a truth in there that we need to learn how to emphasize more? What is it about this song? Let's say if you're an older person that, you know, sometimes fairly, sometimes not, gets categorized as a grumbler, you know, or whatever. If you ask this question and say, what is it about this song that you want to pass on to the next generation? And I think we need to challenge everybody in our church to think about why it is we do what we do, you know, not just to do it because it's relevant, contemporary, but I wonder how, what kind of answers we get if we ask some of our people that, why is it you want to pass this on? What is in this song? Is it just the style? Is it because it reminds you of popular music of your day? Or is there something in it that we need to hold on to? And if so, how do we interpret that for a new generation? How do we speak the musical language to the generation? Or, you know, if you take it, um, I'm speaking musically, but you could also do this with like, what about communion table versus altar call? You know, what about, you know, the younger generation may respond better to accepting Christ around the table and have a better understanding of coming to a feast than they do coming to an altar, you know? Uh, it's just different ways of looking at it. It's a different way of, of seeing things. So um, these are just some things that I think have been helpful for me when I've been asking people those questions, like what is it you want to pass on? And somehow whenever we came back together to be one and we started just treating things and being conscious to tell our congregation we're not going to be looking at those parameters anymore, the pastors, we plan the services together, and we're trying to find a theme, and we're trying to get something across, and we want to hear from you, we want to know from you. Um, it, it seems to have worked, you know, <laughs> for us, for the time being. And um, things like the lectionary have been very useful, things like following the Christian calendar, because it helps put us in solidarity and unity with other people. But, um, but don't ignore the disgruntled people in your congregation. <laughs> um, there's a point where you you have to sometimes kind of get away, but don't ignore them completely because it could be they have a very valid thing they're trying to express and they just don't know how to express it. Does that make sense? Like, we don't always, we don't always say things the right way, 
but what we say probably needed to be said. It just we need to hear it through, to hear it and see it through lenses that Jesus gives us. You know. Um, so four things real quick. I better check the time. I feel like I'm bad. Oh, good. Hey, it's lunch after this, I think. By the way, so um, I just have four things for worship leaders specifically to keep in mind. If you're not a worship leader, this may also apply to you as well. So I'm hoping it's not too esoteric to just get into this one category. Um, but worship leaders, and this applies to senior pastors especially too, because they are the shepherds. They are the worship leader. Um, worship leaders are shepherds and not rock stars. We have a real. I feel like it's a problem right now um, with everybody wanting to be in the limelight and have the, you know, a rock star. And we actually have worship leaders that are making millions of dollars off of songs, you know, because they have their worship leader rock stars, for lack of a better word. Um, we're finding, especially among younger people, that's not appealing at all. A lot of younger people are coming back to very simple churches. Um, they, they want church to be the one place they can get away from technology. <laughs> you know, It's kind of weird to say that we spend all this time and money to get in the latest and greatest, and then we find out that a lot of our teens and young people are actually trying to escape it, and the church might be the only place they can get away from it. Um, so it's okay to realize we don't have to be rock stars. You can just be yourself, be the person God made you to be. God doesn't expect me to lead worship like Lincoln Brewster leads worship. <laughs> Thank God, because he's like this amazing guitar player. I'm pretty good, but I can't keep up with him. Um, he doesn't expect Paul Balash to lead worship like Rick James, you know, when I come together. He's given me a particular way to do it, and I have to do it that way. I have to be faithful to whatever way that God has gifted me to do it, and so we have to kind of be ourselves. So don't don't feel like you have to like push yourself into the top 100 CCLI songs if that's not you, and, and even if you do, don't feel like you have to do it their way, you know? Know your church, know your congregation, and be a worship leader, not a rock star. Be a shepherd, not a rock star. Uh, the second thing was uh, just to remember that as worship leader, as pastor, you are part of the congregation as well. That all these things that you want to teach to your people, they apply to you too, you know? When you're asking who the people are, the prophet's message, it doesn't exempt the prophet from having to live it out as well. <laughs> the prophet also has to find himself, even though he's speaking the words of God, he has to be um, accountable to it as well. And so um, I, I would say surveys are not the best idea <laughs> in a congregation. How many of you just by raise of hands have had a, like a survey about music in your congregation? Okay, one, two, a few of you. Okay. I... They can be helpful and they can be destructive all at the same time because part of the job of a pastor and a worship leader is we need to give people what they need a lot more than what they want. You know what I mean? Um, and we need to teach them that it's a need that they have even if they don't realize it's a need they have. They may like to drink Coke all the time because it tastes good or Pepsi or whatever. But what a body really needs is water, you know? And that's a good time for me to take a water sip here. When we do things like polling the congregation, it's one of the things that I, I feel like, as much as I love a lot of the structure of the Nazarene Church, a lot of times I feel like it gets in our way sometimes too because we want to be democratic about everything. 
and we get to we get to have the people tell us what they need and the people don't necessarily know what they need <laughs> you know I, and I don't mean to say that in an arrogant way but of those of us that have studied theology of state scripture we part of that is coming to find out what our needs really are and showing people that they have needs worth having you know that they don't even know what they are in the first place and we need to show them those things so you can ask people what kind of things they like, but again, you know, get into the heart of what it is that they're wanting to pass on. They might find if they're really pressed on the issue, both young and old alike, whether it's a new song or an old song, you might find if you're pressed on that issue, what is it about this song that you want to pass on to someone? They may not be able to tell you, and if they can't, even if they study the words and come back, it might come down to, I just like the song, you know. I like the rhythm, I like the beat, I like how it makes me feel. Um, a good example of this, of a song that, thank God it never got real popular, but it was on the radio when I was in college, is called Jesus on Your Side. And the lyrics were, you have Jesus on your side, I know he'll make you smile, I know he'll make your dreams come true the way you want them to. It's how it goes. Terrible theology, you know, but it had a beat and people liked it, you know. And uh, it, it didn't be it didn't ever go number one on the charts, but I remember hearing it a few times, and I thought, this is like horrible. How could we ever sing? Jesus will make your dreams come true the way you want them to. Um, and that that's like what we need to guard against as worship leaders and pastors. Also, worship leaders should know who they're leading. Okay, that's that's the third thing. Just know who you're leading in this style versus you know substance for it. It could be you need to stretch yourself as a worship leader. I already said be who you are, but being who you are could be so much more than what you currently are, you know? Let me give you an example of this. As a guitar player, I love this because when I first started playing guitar, what I wanted to do was this. I was a big bluegrass guy when I started. That's what I wanted to do. This is more what I did. That's where it started. I was still me. I was still the same musician, but I wasn't where I needed to go yet. And sometimes, as worship leaders, you can still be yourself, but you still need to stretch yourself. You still need to go beyond what makes you comfortable. There are weeks I'd rather not do songs like I Saw the Light, but some of my people really need them. One lady in my congregation associates that with her father who um, gave his life to the Lord on his deathbed and was singing that at the final time. And so many times she's come up to me and said, can we sing I Saw the Light in church? It just reminds me of my dad, and it reminds me that he's with Jesus. And, it, you know, and I'm like, sure. It's not necessarily always my style, but sure, let's... Let's do I Saw the Light this night, you know, or things like that, because she knows somewhat of what she wants to pull from that. She remembers her father's conversion experience at the very end that she prayed for so hard. So for her, it became something meaningful. And when we start sharing these stories and we start asking what it is they want to share, I can get behind stuff like that, you know. And, I, and then I get a new story to share, too. I can go before my congregation, who I'm leading, and I'm trying to know who they are, and I can let them know her story and say, 
you know, this person is going through this, and, you know, her dad died, and this was the song that ushered him into heaven, you know, to meet the Lord. So this day we can do it. And all of a sudden, style doesn't become the issue anymore. It's like, we're singing this together because we now have a new common ground that all of us can be on together. Does that, does that make sense to everybody there? Um, and just one more thing, and then, oh, this is perfect because it's going to be lunchtime, at least for me after this. Um, worship leaders need to provide a balanced diet. <laughs> when, we, when we think of the, the style versus substance stuff, um, a lot of places are, are all candy, no meat, all candy, no vegetables, you know? And uh, you want to kind of think about your worship service sort of like a good buffet <laughs> when you go in. If you're thinking of, of food that's going to nourish and, and bring our worshipers to life and make us healthy people, make disciples, um, you don't want to just do, um, um, what's the, you know, I can sing it, your love forever is fine but not forever. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, you, you, need, you need something a little deeper than that, a little, a little more, you know, and you can get into stuff like, you know, uh, for the throne of God above, have a strong and perfect plea, you know, and the great I am whose name is love, whoever lives in me for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. So, you know, you have stuff like that that has a lot more meat to it than just, I could sing, you know, or, 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 even a song like Today is the Day is a great song, but it just doesn't go as far as you need to go. If all you have is those fun candy songs, you're going to be deficient as a person. You're going to become diabetic. <laughs> you know, you're going to need to uh, have something else. You're going to need spiritual insulin. Um, so regularly feed your sheep a steady, balanced diet, and I think you'll find that it helps you a lot. So... Um, We've covered a lot. I'm, I'm sorry I talked so much. I wanted it to be more interactive, and then I just took off talking. So, do you guys have any other comments or questions or anything? That yes, yes, sir. Well, I'm I'm 80 years old, and I I'm a leader in the church. Sure. And I've seen change. I mean, a couple of generations ago, Jeff Bach was a big thing in the church. That's <laughs> true. I won't have much to do with that. And I'm here because it's an issue. Mm-hmm. And what to answer your question, what the hymns mean to me? Mm-hmm. They're testimony. Fanny mm-hmm. uh, Cosby. Sure. She's blind, and it's her testimony. And a lot of these hymns are testimony. And I think that our younger people get that explained to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some hymns that we don't want to talk about. Right. But I get as well with my soul. Mm-hmm. If we give to the, the people a background on what that is, it, it means more to them. Sure. Well, and that's exactly what I was trying to say, too. If if we press each other for what we want to pass on out of it, that that's a fantastic story. Like, if you do a Fanny Crosby song some Sunday, tell tell the hymn story, you know. Tell why this, 
everybody can get behind the idea of this person was blind. This is a person that had a big disability in most of our eyes. And God was using this person for that. Or it is well, Horatio Spafford, he lost his family at sea, you know, and, and somehow he still was able to come away and praise God anyway. I'm still going to sing to him, you know, even though Satan should buffet and trials should come, let this blessed assurance control, you know, Christ has exalted uh, my humble estate. It is well with my soul. Um, those are good things. They're good stories to pass on. So if we can somehow get the substance in there, I, I'd love to have an argument someday with somebody <laughs> about the theology of the song we sing versus the style. You know, like I, I, I'd love, I just think there's common grounds we can all find if we're willing to try. It's not easy and it's not going to happen overnight. But I was thinking too of what you said about Ebenezer a while ago. Well, don't don't get rid of that hymn. Let's teach it. You know, let's teach what the stone of help is and where it was in Scripture. And that's where it's so helpful where pastors and worship leaders, music leaders work, working together is so great because then we can go, hey, can in your sermon this week, you know, if you want us to sing this song, can you explain what this is and bring out why it's important in Scripture? Because I think we're biblically illiterate, you know, pretty much anymore in this culture. We have more Bibles than anybody in the world, but we know them less than <laughs> most places around. So, uh, yes? Um, going back to... Uh first class that you had this morning mm-hmm. on songwriting. I think I think a good portion of responsibility also goes on songwriters mm-hmm. to write as we were talking about, you know, to write theologically sound songs that um, you know that, that present the biblical truths. Sure. Um, but I also I also think because I find as a worship leader, I, I joke with my teams a lot with people who find out that I'm a worship director that I call myself the anti worship leader worship leader. <laughs> Because I, I get that, you know, it's like, oh, I heard this song on the radio, and it's such a great song, can't we do that in church? And even my own wife, who I love dearly, brought a song to me to do one Easter, and I, I listened to it, and I just went, there's nothing there. It's it's not theologically sound. It's, it's a pretty song. But I think in the world that we live in, it a lot of times it makes me laugh, because in the late 70s and early 80s, when there were all these Christian bands and artists who were kind of starting the contemporary Christian you mm-hmm. know thing, if you listen to a lot of the albums back then, a lot of the lyrics and everything, they were straight up gospel and, and Jesus in your face and you know and everything. And I mean, and it was blatant. Yet you had people picketing saying that they were going to send your kids to hell. Yeah. They listened to it because the beat was you know of the devil. Now it's kind of funny in the in the church we kind of flipped that where we're so welcome to just about any style and anything, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, what has happened, especially in the last few years is lyrically, things have been so watered down because a lot of the people that you're listening to on the radio, people are thinking, well, this is Christian radio, so so I'm going to listen to this. This is going to build my spirit. But they don't realize a lot of these people are young people who maybe don't have that strong of a theological yeah. background, and they just wrote some cool songs, and, you know, they got a record deal, and they were Christians, and they're they're on the yeah. radio, you know? So you can't get all of that from that. Yeah. And in as worship leaders and directors, we have to pick music that fits like what you said i always say we pick what fits our themes what fits our what we're trying to convey that day whether it's a hymn Mm -hmm. whether it's a contemporary song but you know to not just do something because it's the 
And I, I yeah, I would agree with that too. And I'd say if uh, if there's any aspiring songwriters in here, I I heard this great illustration from a friend, uh, Steve Merkel, who writes for Integrity Music. He wrote, you guys know the song "Lord Have Mercy." The Lord have mercy. He wrote that song. He was saying a couple weeks ago it's something I was at with him. He said, um, he said, let me give you this example of how people are writing worship songs, and they're not telling us anything about who God is. I wish you could meet my wife. She's wonderful. My wife's really great. My wife's awesome. My wife's terrific. I wish you could meet her. My wife's really good. My wife's awesome. My wife's cool. My wife's great. <laughs> my wife's super. I wish you could meet my wife. She's really great. And it's like, there's all these descriptors, but it tells you nothing about my wife, <laughs> you know? And I think you're right. I think we have a lot of songs that are like, "Our God is awesome," you know. And it's kind of like, up and right? That's right. That. But they, it really doesn't tell you anything about God, though, other than, well, yeah, that's a descriptor. But why is he awesome, or why is he great, or why is he this, or why are we saying? Uh, so I, I think there is a lot of that on the shoulder of songwriters. So if you're a hymn writer or a songwriter, write, write good hymns. That's right. So. Well, I think we're about out of time, so please feel free if anybody wants to connect with me in any way. That's my online information. If you don't want to, that's fine too, but um, I know we're reaching the sleepy time hour, so thanks for being here today. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.